Knox Game Design. June 2020. Pi Game. Welcome everyone to Knox Game Design for June 2020. This is a monthly discussion of game development topics. My name is Levi Smith. I'm in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Looks like we have one other person in the in the uh, chat room. Scar, Scar, and Not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, not sure if that maybe Jacob. I'm not hearing audio right now. Uh, but yeah, this month we're trying something different. Um, instead of the Hangouts, we're actually using the Discord meeting uh, video, the meeting room. Um, yeah, so I'm not hearing anybody right now. I think every let me turn that up. Okay, we'll see if anybody else uh, joins in. Okay, so I'm gonna go over a little bit of news. Edit, exit full screen. So I think I can go here and share a screen and go. Oops, I want to go back. I want to share a screen. Then uh, screen one. Go, I think you just go live. So yeah, that's a little bit weird. Okay, so I think that'll work right there. So I think it's pretty cool because you can still see my face. And then also you can see what I'm sharing right here. Uh, so Okay, so the first bit of news. Yeah, I don't see Dylan on yet. I did check the uh, Hangouts on my other computer. I didn't see him on yet. Uh, so we'll see if he joins. But I know Dylan did a post-mortem uh, for his Ludum Dari 46 entry. Uh, the It's called Procedurally Generated Potted Plants in Unity. So he goes into detail about how he actually uh, calculated how he did the branches for his potted plant game. So he did a potted plant simulator game. So you start out with just a, a pot, then your branches start growing, and then you got to feed your plant and water your plant. It keeps growing and growing. So he went into detail. It's a really good article. I recommend checking it out on how he implemented all this in, in Unity. So if you want to know more about Unity or how to implement algorithms like this in Unity. This is a good good one to read right here. Uh, Dylan also did a uh, talk recently. They had a virtual MomoCon this year. <clears throat> so, so Dylan did a talk on the basics of uh, Pico 8. So you can actually see uh, the video from that talk. It's linked on the main Knox Game Design site. Just go down to Joy of Game Development. Then you can see the recording on Dylan's uh, video channel right here. Uh, you can actually play right here. So yeah, it's just a beginner talk on uh, on Pico 8, and, uh, how to get started, how to draw stuff to the screen, but your game loop and your draw loop and, and all that. So yeah, definitely recommend checking this out. And so he does a, a simple space shooter how to put a ship on the screen, how to move it around, um, and how to spawn enemies and things like that. So the next bit of news. So I actually went out and submitted Knox Game Design Podcast to a few different sites. Uh, we got listed on Spotify, so any Spotify users out there, uh, you can go and listen to us on Spotify. I think the last 50 episodes are up there. So some of the earlier 
episodes where we were meeting at the Techco Technology Cooperative and doing game reviews or whatever. Uh, those are starting to fall off. Uh, but all the ones since we started doing game design talks, they're they're up there. Uh, we're also on TuneIn. Now, this is a site that I actually use quite a bit, so I was happy to get listed on here so you can get the episodes, Knox Game Designs, on TuneIn, and as well as iHeartRadio. Uh, I usually don't use iHeartRadio, but I think it's also a popular podcast <coughs> radio site. <clears throat> Another bit of news, uh, Unreal, they released Unreal Engine 5. I think, I'm not sure, I haven't downloaded it myself, but... Uh, Speaking of lighting... It sounds like it's uh, the out there um, uh, for everyone to download and use. Uh, uh, they have a little demo video here showing some of the capabilities, some like games and demos that uh, they've created in Unreal 5. It's, it looks like the lighting is a lot better. It looks like you can, uh, have a lot of more critters on the screen moving around at the same time. I'm not sure. They don't really get into the, uh, details of the editor or the ID or anything like that. So yeah, check out Unreal Real Engine 5 if you're into Unreal. Um, I think they also changed the licensing agreement. Uh, I can't remember exactly what it used to be. I know Unity was like $100,000, so I think uh, that, that after you make $100,000 and you have to like pay a percentage of your uh, revenue uh, to Unity, I think Unreal had a similar agreement. So I think they raised their cap to like a million dollars or something like that. also wanted to mention, so this week's talk is about uh, Python. I want to mention the Knox Pi group. Um, I haven't actually attended any of their meetings yet. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, definitely check this out if you're interested in Python. And I was going to show off some of the things that I'd been working on. <clears throat> Recently, uh, I've updated my Unity Helper. So this is a little app that I wrote in Ruby. <clears throat> so what this will do is it will go through all of the games, Unity games in a directory. And it'll give you a lot of different um, uh, tools that you can use to manage your game. <clears throat> so one new feature that I added <clears throat> is that it'll uh, get the Playmaker version. Uh, it actually does that a new way now because before it's missing the minor version. But the reason that I originally created this was I had a whole bunch of different Unity projects on different Unity versions. So I needed a way to go through and see what version all of these games that I've written are on and which one is which ones are on the latest version of Unity. So you can see, like this one right here, if it's on the latest version of Unity, <coughs> it'll, it won't be highlighted in red. But if it's an old version of Unity, then it'll be highlighted in red. Or if it's off off by a minor version, it'll be highlighted in orange. But I got, the reason I did this, you can like check two or three games right here, and then you can have, like, check Windows, Mac, or Linux, or WebGL, then you can build all of the games that you have selected all at once <clears throat> just by pressing compile selected. It'll actually even put these in zip files if you're wanting to load, upload your game to a site like GameJolt where you have to upload zip files. So it will do that for you as well. 
Um, but yeah, it has a lot of different tools like for uploading to itch.io. It will run the butler command for you. One new feature I added was a set it config. So there's a whole bunch of different properties. Now we'll go on your system and try to find the latest version of Unity um, and just stick it in here. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of different options. Like you can set the company name. So whenever you press the... There's one of these where you uh, update the project, update project settings, and that'll open up all the game projects you have and set that uh, company name for you. That way, you don't have to go in there and manually do that for all of them. So yeah, it's a pretty nice tool. Uh, if you have a bunch of Unity games and you want to compile them all at once or update them all to the latest version, and also there's an online docs button. So you click that, it'll open your default browser and bring up my wiki page. <clears throat> it'll tell you how. To set up the Unity build tool, well, I guess if you already have it running, you've already set it up. Uh, but it'll tell you uh, more uh, information about each of the functions that that are implemented in that tool. I've uh, been working on the website, my leaderboards. So, from my talk last month, uh, one thing. That, that and a couple of problems that I had. One was you would see every single score. So if somebody had a score like multiple times, you would see them each time in the leaderboard. So I added this new top scores by name feature. So now you only see the top score for each name if you select that option. You can always click all top scores to view all of the scores again. Also added latest scores so you can see the last scores that, that everyone submitted uh, to the site. And then I added the score stats by game. I want to add more to this later, but right now it just shows like the score count and the latest score time for each game. And I think that's it. I changed my GitHub to Levi D. Smith. So if you're looking for my stuff, it's at Levi D. Smith. Uh, I did update some other projects like Tweet Helper. So if you need something to, to manage your Twitter followers, you can uh, try that out. And uh, I don't think, I, and the time lapse maker, it's still out there. I updated this about a month ago uh, just to add a simple GUI to this. As with uh, the other project, you can go to the wiki on my site and go back, and you can find more information about uh, the time lapse maker. So if you're doing Ludum Dare and you recorded a bunch of video files, you want to turn that into a time lapse, you can just run this and then that'll generate all the frames and then it'll pull it into VDub for you, virtual dub for you, and turn that into a time lapse video. Okay, let's see if anybody else has joined. It looks like it's just me and Scar Antigen. Okay, so this month we're going to be talking about Pygame. Um, so a little overview, uh, start, I'm not a Python expert or anything, but I do a lot of Ruby. do have five. Ooh, that's interesting. I don't know if there's a way to just show the current, not all, just want the current slide. No notes. It sounds like somebody may have joined. Nope. Um, let's see here, display settings, no, I just wanted to see the current slide, slideshow from beginning, I don't know why it's doing this weird layout right here, <clears throat> show taskbar, I just want to see this slide, hide present screen pointer and show, 
Uh, okay, I'll just exit out of that then. Okay, so I, I do a lot of Ruby, so Pygame is similar to other scripting games like Ruby. It's object-oriented, things like that. So you don't compile Python. You actually write your script, <clears throat> and then when you run Python uh, on your script, then it starts your game. So there's advantages and disadvantages to that. I mean, the advantages is like you can get something up and running pretty quickly. The disadvantage is you get a lot of runtime errors, so you can change something in one file, but you may not actually see any errors in that until you get to that point in your game where that error is. So that's one downside to scripting language. Um, if you're familiar with SDL, SDL developers, uh, you, you may like Pygon, Python and Pygame because you don't have to deal with all the complexities of C or C++. You don't have to free memory or, or malloc or any of that good stuff. So it's a little bit easier. You don't have to do as much memory management. Uh, one downside to Pygame, I didn't find any way to do a web build i think there may be some tools some unsupported unofficial tools out there uh, to convert a python game into javascript but i haven't tried any of those out so if you just want to use pygame by itself it may not be the best for game jams because it will build a desktop build it only does desktop builds by default um and one nice thing like other scripting languages like Perl, I think Perl has CPAN for libraries and Ruby has the gem library. It has a pip PIP is a command that you can run out of the Python uh, installation. You can run pip and um, you can take advantages uh, take advantage of a lot of different libraries out there to add functionality to Python. Um yeah, I'm saying, well, Python is kind of good for beginners. So the big thing about Python is you got to make sure that all of your spacing is correct. It doesn't have like curly braces for your blocks. It's all done by spacing. So blocks are actually intended by spacing, which can be a little bit aggravating if you got a mix of uh, spaces, just regular space characters and tabs. So what I recommend is either if you pick spaces or pick tabs. Don't mix the two together because it'll drive you crazy. Um, but yeah, one downside about Pygame, it doesn't have like any built-in GUI objects. It doesn't have buttons or sliders. You have to implement those yourself. Um, let's see here. And, and also, it's very like I said, it's very similar to SDL. So it, it doesn't do a lot for you. You have to set up your own game loops and draw loops and, all, and things like that. So here's some di Py Python differences. Just plain Python from other languages. Uh, the Boolean expressions are or and and. You don't have pipe or the ampersand. And it must be in lowercase. Uh, and Boolean values, like a lot of other languages, is true and false. But <laughs> unlike and and or, the first letter of true, the T, and the F and false must be capitalized. Case is important. Um... I talked about space for like your, your if block blocks and your loop blocks. They all got, have to be indented the same. Uh, wow, a lot of thunder out there. Um, there's no line terminations, no semicolons or anything like that. So it may take a little bit, a little while to get used to not putting semicolons at the end of all your lines. When you create a function, 
There's an implied first parameter called self, so you'll see self as the first parameter uh, a lot of times. Uh, there's I didn't find any way to do constants in. Uh, let me go back. Stream is done. Okay. Yeah, I didn't see any way to do constants. There may be a way, I think, uh, but I'll have to double check on that. There's no null, but there is a none with a capital N. So if you have a, a variable and you want to just assign it to a null, just assign it to none. Uh, use lf instead of else if. I think that's kind of like bash scripting syntax there. Um, there's no switch statements, but you can sort of simulate one using a dictionary, and I'll talk about dictionaries a little bit later. And the toString method is, you'll see a lot of this, the standard functions will be underscore, underscore. Then in this case, is stir, underscore, underscore, and open, close, paren. So what toString is, so I learned about toString in Java. Basically, if you have a class or an instantiated class, you can create the special method called toString. Then whenever you try to print that object without calling any functions or anything on that object, then it will implicitly call uh, to string for you. So in Python, it's just underscore underscore str underscore underscore. So install Python, you just go to www.python.org downloads. Let's see if I can copy that link and open it up. So yes, yeah, right here on Python site. I think I got the 3.8 version. They still had like the older 2.7 versions on here as well. So I just got the latest version out here for Windows, but they do have it for Linux, Mac, and other operating systems. Um, yeah, so you can optionally put the Python uh, install directory into the environment variable, path environment variable. Um, I don't have the code to do that, but it's just like set path equals, and you do a, a percent path percent semicolon then add python or you can go and that's for windows or you can go into your system settings and go into environment variables and set your path that way and that's helpful like if you're in uh your dos prompt right here and just want to type python right there then you can start it up from right there without going into <clears throat> any special directories oh and by the way to if you just type python by itself then it takes you in, into this shell where you can execute python commands <clears throat> <clears throat> but to quit, you have to type quit and open and close parentheses to get out of it. <clears throat> so hello world. So we already started our Python shell right here. And go back into it. Python. So it's pretty easy. You just type print, open print, hello world, close print, close, double quote, and close print. And they'll print out hello world for you right there. So that's a Good way to get started, make sure everything is installed correctly. You can use either double quotes or single quotes. There's small bits of differences, sort of like PHP. Uh, the single quotes are more hard-coded, whereas in <clears throat> the double quotes, you can add a lot more special characters. So <clears throat> I wrote this simple number guessing game, a good way to get started out. So basically it's going to generate a secret number from 1 to 100 and you're going to keep trying to guess the the random number uh, until you get it right and every time you guess it's either going to say the real number is either or the secret number is either higher or lower than the uh, 
than the number that you guess. So here's the code right here. You can see everything's indented properly. We got a while loop. So while the guest number does not equal the secret number, we're going to say we're going to get the input from the user, which you just call input uh, with open and close parentheses, and we're going to put int around that to cast it as a number because by default it's going to it's going to interpret it as a string. So we've got to convert that to a number. <clears throat> then it has this is if else if. Uh, or LF else uh, block right here that tells you whether you got the number right, wrong, right, high, or the real number is mm -hmm. higher or lower. And if you didn't get it right, uh, then it's just going to keep looping until you do get it right. Then when you do get it right, then it's going to drop out, and then it's going to say, yes, the secret number was this, and the total number of guesses. So let me run that. Quit. And Python um, guess.py. So here it is. So I'm going to guess, uh, let's, let's do 52 by default. So it's lower. So let's do 27. Lower. Let's do 15. Lower. Let's do 6. Lower. 3. Oh, secret, secret number is 3. Got it in 5 guesses. Uh, let's try it again. Let's do 50. 70. Higher. Try 75. Uh, let's try like 82 lower so it's between 75 and 82 let's try 77 higher 80 higher 81 yes six guesses secret number was 81 so that just shows how you make a simple program using just plain Python oh hey it looks like uh, Jeffrey has joined us here in the discord channel hey Jeffrey um, so there's various different types of variables. I'm not sure if anybody can hear me right now. <laughs> uh, I'm not hearing any audio output on my end. Um, but yeah, it looks like Jeffrey is muted right now. Hopefully everybody can hear me. So there's a few different variable types that are in all, a lot of different languages. We've got our int which uh, is like a number like 42, a whole number. You have floats, which are decimal point, floating point numbers. Strings, which are like words, words put together. And those are around single or double quotes. You can actually convert variable types. Uh, so for a number to string, you just put your number uh, and you call stir and put uh, call stir around your number. And I use this a lot because when you're concatenating two strings, yeah, I mentioned it right here, when you concatenate two strings, you have to convert your number variables <clears throat> uh, into strings. So you'll see stir around a lot of my numerical variables right there. And as I mentioned earlier, you convert a string back to a number by putting int, the int function around it. <clears throat> and also you have arrays. Uh, so you just like most languages, you just use square brackets and then you separate all your array values by commas. And like here I have Fibonacci numbers and I assign that to a variable called fib right here. So the scoping in Python is a little bit strange. Um, global variables, uh, you can use the keyword global then before your variable and call that uh, with uh, 
uh, your variable name. I typically don't use global variables. It makes things really confusing. I spent like an hour or so trying to figure out all the scoping rules. Uh, the best uh, recommendation I have is just put everything in a class and use classes and try to avoid uh, these global variables. Now, sometimes it may be a good idea. Like, a, I think I have one for, like, screen size, global variable for screen size. So, um, <clears throat> so with global variable, one trick you got to remember is, like, you can't declare and assign it on the same line. you got to make sure those are on two separate lines. Like, here I have global X, then X gets 42. <clears throat> so, if you have, and this is where it gets strange, if you have a global variable and a method then it becomes local. So like here I have x gets 3 in my foo method. Uh, then if you print that out, then it'll print out the local version of x instead of the global version of x, um, which is kind of strange. Then if I have it in another method, see. So if I have it in another method, but I don't assign anything to x, then it prints out the global version of that variable so yeah it's really confusing um you can i do this a lot of pass the parameter uh pass the variable as a parameter to methods makes things a little bit easier um yeah and let's mentioned earlier make sure you put as much as you can i, I used object oriented style it makes things a little bit clearer um python also has what's called a dictionary this is similar to hash hash tables or hash map in other languages. I think the difference between a dictionary and a hash map is that <clears throat> with a dictionary you can't have collisions. In a hash map you can have multiple values hashed to the same like index or the same key. Uh, in dictionary you can only have one value per key. So if you overwrite that a value to a key then that value gets overwritten. I think like C sharp has dictionaries, but they're not a. I'm not sure if they're a standard part of the language. It might be a part of uh, a library. Um, yeah, no collisions with uh, as with hash tables. And one of the nice things about dictionaries is you can loop over key value pairs. So in this uh, card game that I wrote, basically I have like the different scoring types. Uh, in a dictionary and I use the score type as the key and then the score value as the key value so if you have a score for that uh, score type then uh, I just write that score value over that key here's some simple loops in that you'll probably use in Python so to loop over an array uh, say I got values uh, in an array foot free bar and baths so all you do is do 4v in your array v is the your like iterator and then you just say for whatever your iterator is in and then your array name then followed up by a semicolon then on the next line you want to indent in then put whatever you want to do with that array value so i have like print v so that'll print out the three values in the array um you can also loop over to the array with an index so if you got your same array you can do four and then your iter or your index value, so I just call it IDX, you can call it I, whatever you want to. Uh, then comma, then your iterator name, then you say end, then you got to use this enumerate function and then pass in your array. So what that will do is whenever you print out uh, that value, that should be stir IDX. 
they'll print out that array index, such as zero for the first one, one for the second one, and two for the third one, and then your value right there. And that's sometimes helpful if you're trying to access values uh, by the index, array index. You can also loop over a dictionary. So I have a dictionary right here, and basically this converts uh, single uh, characters into their, uh, uh, let's see here, what do you call that, uh, phonetic equivalent. Uh, so like here we got A is associated to Alpha, B is associated to Bravo, C is associated to Charlie. So to loop over this, we say for key in my dictionary, semicolon. Then we want to print out the key value, which is our A, B, and C, and then the actual value associated. So we pass in my dictionary. Then we use a square bracket notation and pass in the key. So, okay, so that's the basics of Python. Now if we want to get started with Pygame. Pygame is the library that uh, allows you to draw to the screen, like make, make a window, draw to the screen, handle keyboard presses, handle the mouse, things like that. All we got to do is go into the Python directory, wherever you installed it, then CD change directories into scripts, then you just type pip install pygame. And that will go out to the Python website, download all the files for you, and then install it for you. So it makes it really simple using that library. So drawing to the window, here's a pretty simple example uh, of how to draw. We got like uh, a line command, pygame.drawLine, then you pass in uh, your display. So your display is kind of like your window, your main window. You create a display with pygame.display.setMode, then you pass in the resolution of your window. Now it looks kind of weird because it's got these double open parens and double closed parens. I found out the reason for that is the the extra set of parens turns those two values, um, in this case 1280 and 720, it turns that into a tuple, uh, which is kind of like an object. It's kind of like a, like a point uh, or like a vector in C-sharp. Uh, so I'll take those two values and make those two values into one object. So that's why you see the double parens. So first, set of parens is actually calling the function or the method. Then the second parent is saying, hey, pass these two values as one, uh, one object, one point object, or one set of width and height. You can also set a caption. I just set it to test window using the set caption. And also there's this clock. You can call clock, and then you can call clock tick. And that's what makes your game run at a specified frame rate. In this case, I have it at 60 for 60 frames a second. If you don't have that in there, then your game's just going to run as fast as it can. And in that case, uh, you may not see... Uh, your game may run in spurts. It may start to run fast and run slow, so it's good to have this delay in here for tick. Um, so, yeah, I can't remember if I put that into... Mm, yeah, I didn't put that into its uh, test window. Oh, there it is. So if I run python test window.py, then, yeah, so here it is. It makes a window, and it makes a, a red line, a green square, and a cyan color circle. Then close that.
Uh, oh, yeah, and by default, there's no transparency in um, Pygame, like in SDL. You can create a surface object and then uh, play with the alpha properties of that, but it doesn't work by default like in other languages. Now, if we want to draw text, uh, we got to create uh, a font object. You just use pygame.font.font. The first font's lowercase, the second is uppercase. Then you pass in the, the, the font file, your TTF, true type font file, then also the size. Then you can use uh, font.render and pass in a string. I forget what the second value is. It's a Boolean. Uh, I have it set to tree right here. And then your color value. So the color value is an RGB uh, tuple. Uh, so you just pass that in for the color right there. And then you just say display blit and then pass it in that uh, value that was returned from the font.render. And then the position as well, which is also a, uh, a tuple of two values, the X and Y coordinate on the screen. Images, you use Pygame image load, then pass in your image file, uh, file name, and the display it, you just say display.blit, and then you pass in that image, and then the X and Y position. So images are pretty easy. Uh, one thing that I found out to uh, just only display a portion of the image, you got to use the dot subsurface uh, method on your image file right there, or the your image object. You can also scale your image using pygame.transform.scale, then you pass in your image, and then it can give it the new width and height. I think there's a few other options. I can't remember if you can do rotates and things like that. You may be able to. I'll have to, have to look back into that. So here's your standard game loop. So we're going to have like a keep looping while keep looping, then you're going to process. So this is, looks a lot like SDL, which I talked about a month or two ago, a few months ago. So uh, for every loop, you're going to say pygame event get. So that's going to pull an event off the event queue. Then you're going to process those events. So events are things like quit, uh, a key press, a key release, a mouse press, mouse release, or a mouse move, things like that. But first of all, you got to start up pygame with pygame init. Make sure you call that. I think at the end of your program, also make sure you call pygame.quit. That'll destroy and free up everything. Um, yeah, so we're going to quit when we get the quit event, uh, process the events. Um, so I always recommend you don't have to do this, but I remember when I started programming, I always put all my draw code and all my game logic in the same files, which that's not a good thing to do. Create separate update and draw methods. Uh, that way you keep the uh, game logic and uh, the drawing separate, <clears throat> which makes your code a lot cleaner and easier to maintain. Um, so you can call pygame display update to update the, the display, your main display object. And I talked about clock.tick, which pauses till the next update. And exit talked about that. So this is also looks a lot like SDL, simple direct media layer. When you're handling input, so you got your key down, pygame.key down, and pygame.key up. So that's going to uh, execute these events whenever uh, you press a certain key. So your your key uh, constants are things like pygame.k underscore q for q, pygame.k underscore s for s, and things like that.
Um, so you can use event.key to check which key was pressed. Um, and you can also find online where the constants are. Okay, so that's handling input. So as I talked about earlier a little bit, Python is an object-oriented language, so you can actually define classes, so that will encapsulate the properties and methods of an object in one class. So here I have a, a ship class, so it has an x, y position, a width and a height, uh, a x and y velocity. I could have did these as tuples as well if I wanted to clean this up. It has a draw update methods and it has a move left and move right. So you see for all these, it starts out with this implied first parameter called self. So whenever you're calling this, you don't actually put that self parameter in there. It's just kind of implied. Uh, when you create a new object, so I have my ship class here, you just say like uh, whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> Let's say S. You do S equals, then ship, and open and close. Uh, parentheses. In most other languages, you have to use the new keyword. <clears throat> so in Python, you don't use the key new keyword. <clears throat> in define instance variables with, within a class. Now this is where I get confused with the scoping. A lot of times you have to call you do self dot then your variable name, especially if it's in a function. I think outside you can define variables, but I think these may be class variables, so they're shared between different instances of the class. I'm not sure about that. I'll have to double check on that. Uh, your, your constructor or initialize, you use a special function called init. So it's underscore, underscore, init, underscore, underscore, then you use self and then all the parameters. Um, so I call it a constructor, but if you look, other people will say, well, constructor actually allocates the memory for the object and things like that. So it's more like an initialize. The object's already been, the memory for the object has already been allocated, but so this actually occurs after that. <clears throat> In delete objects with the DEL command, and uh, objects and methods have public, so for any, uh, variable like I have self x and self y I can reach in to an instance of an object and call like if I have a ship called s I can do s dot x and reference that x variable within the, which is kind of nice so there isn't any like private or protected everything's pretty much public I remember when I started learning programming they're like oh define your getters and setters for all your private instance variables, which just seems like there's a lot of extra code that really didn't do anything for you. So I kind of like this. <clears throat> uh, okay, yes, create a little instance object. Okay, yeah, so make sure you use self. You'll see self in there quite a bit. <clears throat> uh, so it is object-oriented. If you're familiar with object-oriented programming, you can have a... A uh, superclass and a subclass, so the subclass inherits all the methods and all the instance variables of the superclass. So like in my game, I have a class called screen, so I have class screen, and then I define all the methods for a screen. And then in the subclass, to create a subclass, you just say class and your subclass name, and then you do an open paren, then pass in the superclass name, and a closing paren than, than semicolon. A lot of other languages like Java uses extends 
And C sharp, I think uses bay, or I think C sharp just uses a semicolon, then passing the superclass super name. One difference in Python is that by default, if you override one of the superclass methods, and like in Java and some other languages, it will implicitly call super the superclass version of that method first then the subclass method. But in Python, it does not call the superclass method. You must explicitly say super, and I think you use open and close paren, then call the name of the superclass method. <clears throat> if you want to create a method, like if you're just doing some testing and you just don't want to have anything in that method yet, you can use the pass call, just type in pass, and that will let you leave a method empty for the time being. And I mentioned earlier the superclass, and you get into the problem with the superclass not method not being called uh, with uh, the init. So for a lot of other languages, I expect the superclass constructor to be called, but in Python it isn't. You have to manually call super dot init. So I talked a little bit, a little bit about list and array. So here I have a simple shooter. Uh, you have the box right here, and the player, and the enemy, and some shots. So let's see if I can run that. So Python, and oh, actually it's in Python Shooter. So Python, Python, let me check this real quick, make sure nobody's trying to join right now. Let me go over... Mm, no, okay. <clears throat> so Python, Python shooter. Mm, there we go, Python shooter py. So this is just a box getting to move around like that. That's the way I always recommend starting starting out. Just get a box moving on the screen. Uh, and actually type. This is all uploaded to my source code repository. So there's the code. It's pretty simple. It's the same code that was on the slide. So get your key presses working up, down, left, and right. Just get, get it moving around first. Then the next step, you can go in. Let's see what this does. So yeah, this, this is moving, but when you release the key, then it stops. So the first step is just to get it moving around, but then it'll keep moving forever. So the next step is like whenever you release a key, make sure it stops. Looks like there were, oh yeah, I didn't have a uh, false defined. I didn't do the capital F correctly there. So now I've got an enemy moving around just back and forth, the green square, no collision detection or anything yet. But that's the next step and get an enemy on the screen moving around. And here I got the shooting working. So you can also see when the bullet collides with the enemy, then it goes away. Can actually uh, go into. So I've been using Visual Studio Code for Python programming, which is pretty nice. You can also use uh, um, Notepad Plus Plus is another good one. So let's go File, Open File, and let's go into Python Shooter Four. So you can see here I have a ship. You can put your both your classes in the same source code file. Typically I put each class in its own file since that's kind of like how Java and a lot and C sharp and a lot of other languages do it. So here's my enemy class. You got your X and Y, width and height, 
it has a countdown, so after two seconds, it's going to change the direction. We have an is is alive property saying whether the enemy is alive or not. We have a draw, so it's basically just going to draw that simple rectangle. So if I wanted to take this a little bit further, I would uh, go in and um, replace these with images instead of just plain rectangles. Then we got an update which tells it which way to move. So here's my bullet class right here. It's very similar. It's going to have a velocity of negative 5 because going up into the screen is a negative value. And then there, I have a check collision, so it's just going to say if, if the bullet is within the bounds of the enemy, then we're going to delete the enemy, set the is alive as to false, uh, and destroy the enemy. So I forget what the final version is. Simple Shooter 5. Oh, so the last version is multiples. So you can see here one improvement that can be made is whenever the bullet collides with the enemy, uh, I should also delete the bullet as well because this is kind of like a bullet just, just keeps deleting everything in its path. So you can destroy multiple enemies uh, with one one bullet right there. So yeah, if you wanted to improve this, you could add a score and different types of enemies and, and all that good stuff. So yeah, it's a simple sh Python shooter game right there and just not many lines of code. <clears throat> so to do music and sound effects, <clears throat> use pygame.mixer. You can call it music load and give it the MP3 file that you want, which is pretty nice. You use set volume to tell it how loud it is. Um, then with sound effects, you can use pygame.mixer.sound to load a sound effects. I typically use WAV files. Um, and then to play your music, you just use pygamemixer.music.play and pass it in a negative one to make it loop infinitely. You can also pass in like a one if you only want it to loop, you don't want it to loop, or two if you want it to loop twice. <clears throat> There's also a special uh, uh, event called song end. So if you actually want to do something after the music stops playing, you can look for this sound in event which is pretty nice I don't know any other language or library that does that I think basically in most languages you have to check yourself to see if the music has stopped playing uh, <clears throat> and then for your sound effects all you have to do if you have a sound object you just call dot play and they'll play the sound effect for you so as I mentioned earlier in Pygame, I'll try not to go into too much detail on this, but it has no GUI objects, no buttons or anything like that. So I created my own button called Class Button. It's got like a position, a width and a height, a label. And just to give an example of how this can be implemented, um, it doesn't have any input fields or anything like that either, like a text field. Uh, one thing uh, I'll just say about this, one thing that's nice about Python is like in my button class, I have an action value, which I don't see in here. I guess you just have to manually assign it from outside of class, but whenever, oh, here it is, uh, return, no, don't have it. I guess I call it from another class, but you can assign a function to, oh, there it is, self.action, none. So you can actually assign a function or a method to a value, which is pretty cool. So whenever this button is clicked, then you just say button 
dot action, then put open and close params, and then it will call that that action that it assigned you assigned to that button, which is pretty cool, which you, you, you can do in other languages, but you can assign it directly to a value right here. One thing you got to watch out for is that we'll only call the action with no parameters. So to call an action with parameters, you have to assign those parameters as an array to like a another value in the in your button class, which I do have in a later version of this. So basically in my screen class, I'll loop through all the buttons that have been created from that screen and check to see if any but if any of them have been pressed. Then if they have been pressed, then call that action. Uh, one other thing you probably want to do is like uh, you can change the cursor using Pygame, which I don't have the code right here. But you have a few different options like a diamond cursor and a pointer and things like that. Um, yeah, so whenever you're looping through your buttons, if you want to change into a different... Uh, icon cursor whenever you're hovering over the button then you just use uh, uh, that command which I don't have on here right now <clears throat> one other thing uh, that I've used a little bit is command line parameters to get the command line parameters like in a lot of other languages you use args or something like that in your main method in Python you have to import sys at the top sys then you say, uh, then you actually look into the, that returns an array, uh, or actually you can use sys.argv to get the list or the array of command line parameters. So you can loop through those and then see whether that command line parameter, like here I have dash param, if that's in that array, then you can do something for that command line parameter. Uh, one thing that I got working is the networking. So if you want to like call a website or make a URL, a web HTTP request, and you got to import URL lib dot request, and then uh, you can do URL lib dot request dot URL open, and then pass in your URL uh, to call that URL. Then if you want to get the input back uh, or uh, the, whatever is returned, you use dot read. So I got the leaderboard stuff working. So I created a simple game, which I'll demo real quick. See if anybody else has joined. Okay. So I created a simple game uh, called Koei Koei. See Koei Koei. Uh, so Python Koei Koei dot py no music. Um, yeah, so you can actually just like start here and here's like an option screen. So I can call this a uh, Knox game like that. And here's my little button classes. So I can click these buttons to change like the number of rounds. Uh, this hint isn't working yet, but, uh, in Koei Koei, you can read more about it on my website, but it's a Japanese, uh, card matching game. So you can begin and we'll put all the cards. So you got to match the cards in your hand with the cards on the table. And I have these number values which actually uh, show what value these are. Uh, you can press arrange and I'll put them in numerical values. So I can like take my two and drop that on a two right there. These actually correspond with numbers of the month like January, February, March. Uh, then after you've matched one then you can draw from the stack and then you try to match that with one of these. Uh, or you can drop it to the table if you can't make a match with those. So yeah, this is just a simple example showing what you can do in Pygame. Uh, you got the different scoring combinations here over to the side. Then after you make 
one of the special combinations, then you win those number of points for the round, and then you can keep playing to uh, to keep playing until all the rounds are completed. Which I have set as an option. You neither do one, three, six, or twelve rounds. So it's a fun little game, and uh, I can show some of the code for this here in Visual Studio. So I have a file. Open file projects Koei Koei and like here's the main class. So I got all my imports up here and I have everything defined as an application class in this main method right here. So so for a lot of my game objects I pass application as a parameter. That way I can reach in to application, then reach into any of the other things like the options object or the game manager object and, and things like that. Uh, and under game manager, see file, open file, game manager. Uh, I have that's where the the cards are defined, where the players are defined. So I have an array of two players. I have a stack of cards. One nice thing about uh, Python and Pygame is after I create all my card objects, there is a shuffle command. I think you have to import random, but you call it random dot shuffle. Then you pass in your array of cards, and that will shuffle the cards for you. And that makes things really simple. A lot of other languages, you have to have a, uh, multiple lines of code to implement the same thing. That's where you create the players right there. I have a deal cards where it takes cards from the stack and <clears throat> assigns those to the player's hands. And here's the code for handling go to the next round and adding the score and things like that. And this do next player handles switching between the two players. Uh, so for the CPU player, it adds a little bit of a weight delay in here. And also for each card, each card has a position, then it also has a target position. So if I want to move the card from like the stack to the hand, from the hand to the table, I just set the target position, then it will move that card smoothly to that position. So it doesn't just like it doesn't instantaneously pop over there. Um, so within uh, the game manager, I have references to players. So here's the player class right here. So the player has his cards, uh, which is just an array of cards. It also has like a, I think somewhere in here it has a selected card. So if you selected the card and you're moving it to the table, then it assigns it to that. Um, so the player has like a name. Uh, whether or not their CPU controlled, whether it's that player's turn, and also has an update and a draw. So it knows how to draw all the cards for the player and it knows how to draw their score and things like that. <clears throat> so basically what it does is it loops through all the cards in the player's hands and calls draw on those cards. Um, yeah, so, so, and also a player has multiple states. So in this card matching game, you have five different states. You have the card match from the hand state, and then if you match, then it's possible to uh, continue in what's called Koei, either Koei or stop. Then after that, you go to the draw card state. Then you can also continue after that whether if you made a match. Then you have the done state. So then if you re reach the done state, then it flips control over to the next player. Um, so file, open file card so here's the card class right here so it has all the attributes of a card such as its value the month um, then all its properties whether it's a light card 
whether it's one of the special like moon or a curtain cards, whether it's a ribbon, a poetry ribbon, a blue ribbon, whether it's the sake cup or uh, if it's a special card. Uh, yeah, so that's the card, and it handles the draw method, handles all the drawing. I have this stir command, the two string, just for de when I was debugging. It also has like a checked hover to make, that's used to check and see if the card should be highlighted or not. Um, let's see here, open. I also have a draw helper. So, what this does is this is kind of a utility class right here. So what this does is it draws text with the shadow, which requires two calls to the uh, font.render. First to draw the shadow, then next to draw the actual text on top of it. Open file. Um, yeah, that's about it. Uh, I have a score class. So this keeps track of each player has a score object. Uh, so score checks and sees if you you've made any of the combinations. Uh, the special winning combinations, scoring combinations, based on the number of cards of each type that you have. So if you have three blue cards, three blue ribbon cards, that's a score. If you have three poetry ribbon cards, that's a score. Or if you have five of any type of ribbon cards, that's a score. You're going to have like the sake cup and moon, that's a score. So it just, it tracks all these, then it checks after each match to see if you've made any new combinations, which are called Yaku. Then if you've made one of these combinations and it uses this dictionary, then it assigns the number of points uh, in the dictionary for that score. So yeah, I think that's about it. Let's see here if there's anything else. So yeah, I do have my generic screen class, which has an init, update, draw, and restart. So this will handle things like the mouse pressed, the mouse moved, whether a button's been clicked or a button's hovered. So typically I take that screen and then I subclass it. So for like the uh, title screen, so I'm going to do like what I talked about earlier. I'm going to call class screen title. Then I'm going to pass in screen. It kind of looks like a parameter. That just means that's the super class. So that's going to take all of the values of screen and inherit those values into the screen title subclass. Uh, but like I said earlier, you got to call super init. Uh, to call the superclass init uh, in the subclass init. And then I have things like setting up the buttons, making your buttons, uh, the updates and draws. So making a subclass helps a little bit. It re reduces the amount of duplicated code. If you can have code that's shared between all these screen classes, you just put it in the superclass. That way you just write it once. Or if you have to change it, you just change it once and you're not changing it for every single subclass. So that's about it. Uh, yeah, I didn't hear from anybody. I saw uh, Jacob and Jeffrey jump in. Um, but I'm not sure if their audio is working. So I appreciate everybody joining. Let's see if I can put this back on me. Oh, there I am. Um, see if there's anything else that I need to share out here. Oh, so I was going to mention uh, Jared in the Discord channel. Oh, we had one new person join the Discord channel. I'm not sure if I can jump out right here. I think if I go over here, it's going to totally kick me out. Um, let's see here. But yeah, check the Introduce Yourself channel for all the new people that have joined um, our Discord channel. I was going to check out uh, Jared's 
game if I can bring it up github uh, Jared so he's been working on a dungeon game I don't know it's not coming up but he's been working on a dungeon game he showed off some of the uh, textures he's been working on like the bricks and I know he was asking people in our group is like well does kind of like the shell shaded or cartoony graphics work better than the real graphics? That's also people chime in saying it really depends on what type of game you're going for. If you're going for like a Resident Evil survivor horror game, I guess tip, you'd want to use the more realistic textures. But if you're going for something more like a kid's game or some like a comic book style game, then you go for the, the cell shaded graphics there. So, yeah, um, some. We'll see if we keep doing the Discord or not. Uh, may go back to the Hangout since I didn't hear from any anybody today. But, uh, yeah, so I have a few more talks planned coming up in the upcoming months. I had an idea. It'd be cool to talk about color. I don't think I've talked about uh, color before, but, like, the different color, like a, a technical talk on color, like the different uh, uh, color methods like your RBGs and your CMYs and and may, maybe go into a little bit of GIMP to talk about um, how to actually modify color for a game for your uh, images uh, give some tips on that uh, then I still have mono game on the list so eventually do mono game and also uh, I can do a talk on Allegro, and also, I don't think I've talked about JavaScript and Canvas yet. So that'll be a good talk to do as well. Um, so I think that will take us all the way out till October, and October should be Ludumdari 47. Um, so, uh, looks like we got talks filled up, to, but filled up until October. If anybody else wants to present on a topic, uh, everyone is welcome. Just just send me an email. Uh, I think it's Levi D. Smith at knoxgamedesign.org and say, hey, I want to do a talk on this. If anybody wants to do a talk, otherwise, I'll, I'll, I'll do these topics for the upcoming months. So, uh, yeah, so be sure. Whoa, that's interesting. <laughs> be sure to go out and check out Knox Game Design. I don't know how to get back. Focus. I don't know how to switch this back to me. Oh, there we go. So, yeah, be sure to go check out the website, knoxgamedesign.org. Oh, that's one other thing I can show off. Oh, crud. On the website, I uh, added this new thing called Knox Articles. So I used an RSS aggregator and installed that. So what this does is it goes through and looks at the articles on all of our sites of the Knox Game Design members. So if I missed anybody, let me know. I'm just asking, is like, well, uh, I'm going to keep this to like people that have showed up to a couple of meetings in the last few years. Um, so if you've been to some of our meetings, l let me know where your RSS feed is and I can add you there. But this is kind of nice. It's going to go and like pull these articles from each of our sites. So here's Dylan's article that he wrote on recording a panel. Uh, with video software and then you can see some of mine like it actually pulls some of my games and like my February 2020 summary so just trying to get a little bit ex more exposure to our personal sites where we've written articles it also has Joe Miller stuff like uh, like the stuff that he wrote up his postmortems right here 
Uh, he had a couple more detailed ones. Um, let's see here. Results. Spoilers. He also has a post-mortem and time-lapse uh, for some of his games. So yeah, if you want to check out some of the articles that, that we've written, go to noxgamedesign.org and look under Nox articles. You can also get the, the feed itself and just click on that up there, I think. And it should redirect you to the feed. Maybe not. Maybe you have to actually type in feed at the end. But I can put that link out there for anybody that wants it. Um, yeah, so that's basically it. Um, switch back over here. Aw, oh, crud. Yeah, I'm gonna have to learn this new Discord interface. It's kind of crazy here. Okay, appreciate everyone joining, and uh, I guess we'll be back in a month.